from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, Erica, you got to get ready. This is too good. What are we watching? So we're in my basement and I'm going to force you to watch The Nutcracker. And not just any Nutcracker. Your Nutcracker, when you were Marie, <laughs> aka Clara, and other versions, but the main character. That was a golden year. <laughs> a golden year. How did you get these on your computer? Because weren't they VHS? Yeah. How did you get these? Mom and Dad. Can we get to watch it? Because I'm dying to watch All right. this. I think this is going to be fun. I know you're probably a little bit anxious. Oh my gosh, just seeing the still of the costumes. So I guess I should tell you, my name is Aylin. I'm Erica's sister. I also produce this show. I know it might feel abrupt to suddenly hear from me, but there's something about Erica that she's extremely reluctant to talk about that I think you should know. Okay, I'm going to click on it. We're going to full screen it. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Youth Ballet Company presents... 2001, The Nutcracker. <laughs> December 14th, 15th, and 16th. <laughs> Whoa, this is epic. They have, like, the roles. They have the whole cast. Littlest Mouse, Cook, Mrs. Stahlbaum, Dr. Stahlbaum. I didn't know he's a doctor. Maybe. Erica devoted her life to ballet for more than 10 years. She thought about trying to go all the way, to join a company and become a professional dancer. I can picture all of these dancers and like how they danced. I remember what their feet looked like. <laughs> what their feet looked like. <laughs> Definitely. <gasps> Marie Stahlbaum. Erica Lance. Clearly, I'm enthusiastic. I'm trying to pump Erica up and get her more excited. 
but she's visibly uncomfortable as the music plays and the opening credits roll. She's shifting in her seat. She's good at masking how she feels, but I can tell it's sparking a memory. I'm asking Erica to go back to a time that honestly feels like another life. A time when ballet defined her. A time when her ambition to perform well, and maybe to go pro, consumed our family. We haven't talked much about it for probably 15 years, and I think there's a reason for that. Because when Erica left, she closed that door and never opened it again. As much as she loved it, she suffered in it. At least that's what I think I saw. I was so young that it feels like this hazy, distant silhouette of a thing that doesn't feel real, like a wild dream that I can't fully recall. Curtains opening. Where would you have been? In the wings? I'm in the wings, yep. Getting ready for my first entrance. I love that you remember your first entrance. Of course. There you are! Oh, oh you're so cute! <laughs> I'm sneaking on trying to see the presents. Ooh, look at those pointed feet. Wow, I look better than I expected somehow. Yeah, you look amazing. You're acting with your whole body and moving very gracefully. Wow, I'm actually really proud of my dancing in this. I think I forgot how, like, good I was at this point. Does it bring you back? Like, how did it feel to be performing the lead role in The Nutcracker? It's just so fun. I loved all of those rehearsals. And I was always there for a very long time because I was the main character. And I did not mind at all. (laughs) It's just pure fun. Pure fun. Totally worth any pain or being tired or something. Totally worth it. I absolutely loved it. Working on this series has been hard on Erica. She's often had a quick aside like, why am I doing this? Or I don't know why I signed up for this. It also brings up a lot of what ifs and regrets. Interviewing people and writing about ballet every day has made us both realize how much her time in ballet is a part of who she is. It led to a conversation that, honestly, we needed to have as sisters. From Rococo Punch and iHeart Podcasts, this is The Turning. Room of Mirrors. I'm Aelin Lance Lesser. Part 6. A Golden Year. So, thanks, Erica, for finally doing this. I feel like it's been pulling teeth to get you to sit down and talk about some of this stuff, and I'm not sure quite why, but I feel like part of it is that you don't like to talk about yourself too much. Yeah, I do feel... (laughs) Self-conscious. You feel self-conscious? How so? Yeah, I mean, not maybe not self-conscious, but I, I mean, honestly, like, yes, I studied ballet when I was a kid, but I didn't become a professional dancer. I didn't actually, like, fully commit and go all the way. And so I just feel like a fraud. I'm not the person 
who has the most insight into this by like any stretch of the imagination. So why would I be talking about my own story or my own experience? Like there are so many other people who are more important. So you basically are experiencing imposter syndrome. I bet also if you had become a professional, you still would be like, well, I wasn't a principal, so my story doesn't matter. Like you would find (laughs) any reason to not count your story as worthwhile. And the fact is like you devoted your life totally to ballet for years. I know, again, I can just feel you being uncomfortable talking about this. (laughs) But anyway, do you remember like what was your favorite performance that you did? I don't know, but definitely one of the most meaningful to me was the year I was Marie in the Nutcracker or Clara. That was obviously a huge deal. It was really special because I had looked up to these dancers for years who played Marie. So getting cast as Marie, I mean, it's like a dream come true at age 12. (laughs) Wait, you were 12? Mm Mm-hmm. Looking back, it's like 12 sounds so young. Yeah. Wow. But by the time I was 12, I was dancing every day. And I was at a school that also had this like youth ballet company, essentially. And so we were performing constantly. Whoa. What's weird is I almost feel like I've blocked out some of these memories Hmm. about how much it was. That was every day. Jeez. I mean, it is true when you're dancing that seriously, you really do feel like you have to dance every day to keep up what you're doing and to be improving every day. At that point, you're so in tune with your body that, yeah, when you take a day off, you feel it. And I remember one time I took like three days or something off, and I can't remember if I was sick or if our family went out of town for a few days, but I came back to class, and I actually thought I was having an okay class. I don't think I felt like I was doing particularly badly, and I was standing at the bar in the studio, and my teacher, who is this Russian teacher who I absolutely adored, she had really high standards, which I loved, but at one point she like stopped, and I could tell she was upset, and she looked at me, and she said, Erika, Erika, like she said it in her Russian accent, like, you miss one day you notice the difference. You miss two days, I notice the difference. You miss three days, everybody notices the difference. Whoa. That makes her sound mean. I actually like adored her as a teacher, but that really stuck with me. And it definitely made me feel like it's just not worth it to take days off. How did you feel in that moment? Probably embarrassed, but it wasn't like a big out of the normal thing. Like you're used to being called out in class. You're used to being corrected in front of everyone. But it was more just this very memorable phrase that was a good reminder of like the importance of staying in class. At home, the dynamics of Erica's ballet classroom, casting and technique, it all became our form of childhood gossip. I loved being in on it. I watched Erica constantly improve and grow into this polished dancer. But she'd also come home every night in physical pain. I can remember the constant bags of frozen peas or foot baths or full salt baths. 
Sometimes Erica would sit in the middle of our living room floor, slowly stretching her aching muscles and tending to her wounds. And sometimes she'd just collapse onto this big green recliner and just lie there for hours. She always seemed to be on the mend. When did you first start having injuries? Mm. I think the first time I sprained my ankle, I was five. And after that first sprain, I was always aware of my ankle. I always had ankle problems. And the thing is, when you injure your ankle, after it heals, it is a little more susceptible to injury. And so it just felt like a constant battle with my ankle. And eventually it went from like having mild sprains from time to time to I did develop chronic tendonitis in my Achilles tendons, which I think is like super common. Um, But it was really painful and I was experiencing it, I think, at a level that it wasn't like normal. And that's what I started seeing a bunch of physical therapists for for years It was such a constant. I mean, you're always dancing through pain, but you kind of get used to it. Always? Yeah. I mean, to some extent. I do remember one day in particular, it was like a Saturday day of rehearsals. I can picture the point shoes I was wearing. It was a pair of Grishko's. They might have been like slightly too broken in at that point, but we were preparing for multiple performances coming up. I just remember that I was cast in a lot of things. It was a really exciting set of castings because I was kind of cast above my level. But the result is that I like didn't get any time off. Like I was just constantly rehearsing one after the next and my friends were getting little breaks and I just like wasn't getting a break. And there was this one piece where we're basically on point the whole time. Like the whole thing is that we're burying across the floor, like the entire dance. So you're like literally never not on point. And I had like so many blisters that day. And I just was like, oh my God, I cannot run this piece one more time. And then she'd be like, let's run it again. And I'd just be like, please, no. I just remember thinking to myself, my God, this is insane. (laughs) But also it was like so exhilarating because I felt like such a professional because I just like was dancing all day and You know, you feel important if you, like, don't have time for breaks. And you do feel like an adult. I mean, when you're making those types of sacrifices where you're not hanging out with friends, you're in the studio and you're dancing through pain, you feel like a grown-up. And it's it's partly because the instructor, to some extent, treats you like a grown-up. Like, the expectations are so high. You need to, like, put on your adult behavior, kind of. That's what kids want. They want to, probably to a certain extent, they want, like, teachers to have high standards and high expectations or to challenge them. Like, I do think that that's so empowering to not be seen as just, like, a kid who's doing this for fun. It's like, no, take me seriously. Like, I wouldn't want any less. I'd want to be treated that way because I took it so seriously. And also, I don't want my fellow dancers slacking off either because we all want it to be the best it can be.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Erica really wanted to be the best she could in every way. And I remember noticing that desire shift to how she felt about her appearance. I want to pause here because we're about to talk about topics that could be really triggering and even unhealthy to listen to. They have to do with body image and include some really skewed and unhealthy thinking. And if you feel you might be triggered by explicit discussions of body image or eating disorders, you might want to stop listening here. There's research to suggest that hearing specifics about eating disorders could contribute to actual symptoms. I loved so much of my body when I was dancing. Like, I liked my feet. I liked my legs. I liked the level of hyperextension. I felt like it was a little, but not too much. I liked a lot of my shapes. I loved how I looked in a lot of ways. And I was looking at myself all the time. I was proud of my body, except for the, I wanted to be thinner. I just, I really wanted bones jutting out. But like, where do you think that came from? Because I don't feel like it came from you. I thought I was too fat starting from age four. Jeez. Can you tell me your first, like, why do you say age four? What's your first memory of that? I think it was four. 
it could be that I'm not don't have the age right. My first memory of feeling that I was too fat was not in ballet class, but I think it was influenced by dance. There was like a stage where we would do cabarets in the summer and things. I was on stage and I had I was like kind of standing with a sway back. I had more of a sway back as like a, a toddler. And I was aware suddenly that my like that made my stomach stick out. Mm. And that's my first like very concrete memory of um wishing that my stomach were smaller. And that never went away. I started dance classes when I was three. And I mean, I think it's it's hard to just stand in a leotard in front of a mirror every day as a kid. Do you remember any times when a teacher like specifically told you to lose weight or implied it in some way? No. Um, that's the thing. I don't think I ever had a teacher say, Erica, you need to lose weight. No. I think it's like very clear that you want to be thin. Like no one needs to say that explicitly. In class, there was just such an awareness that thinness was clearly important. And I think sometimes teachers would tell stories about their own training that were kind of intended to point out how messed up something was, but also inevitably then communicated maybe the messed up message to us unintentionally. So like I remember one of my teachers who was from Ukraine and she'd been trained in Russian schools. She would tell stories that a teacher would go and pinch your back. And if they could pinch your back and get any kind of like fat in the pinch, the teacher would say, oh, I see you've been having a little too much milk. In other words, like drinking milk was making them fat. But I was like, oh, I guess I don't want any pinchable fat in my back. She also would tell us stories about how Russian schools worked at the time. You know, you're a little girl between age six and 10. I don't know the exact age. But if you want to get into a Russian school, you go in, you're auditioning. At one point, you you take off your clothes, you're naked. I think for the audition, often you're topless as a little girl. And then you also have like a medical examination where they measure your body. They might even like look at your parents to see how you're likely to develop physically. Basically saying, we only want to admit people into our school who have the exact like proportions and ballet body that we're looking for. Yeah. You're also thinking, you know, would I cut it in Russia? I don't know. I think I remember the teacher that you're talking about. And she was, I think, amazing in a lot of ways. But like also I feel like to a certain degree, there's an element of psychological breeding with that by just saying like, oh, listen to how bad I had it or the types of disparaging comments I received. These other comments I'm making are nothing compared to that. Yeah. The messaging is, oh, wow, look how intense that is over in Russia. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it nice we don't do that here? But now I have these ideas that I'm supposed to have certain measurements in order to be the best ballerina. Now I'm aware of that, even if it, that wasn't the intention. Yeah. 
I do remember one time you walked in because you were always there because you're always having to like ride with mom as she's like driving me to class and stuff. But you walked in and I think she was like, ooh, you you would be accepted. You, Aelin. Yeah. You know, I even remember she had me do first position and she like, I'm not even her student. And she took her hands and put them on my ankles and crept her hands all the way up to my up my legs to my hips, feeling my turnout. Wow. And literally put her hands all over my legs up to like my butt and then was like, yes, you would be accepted or something. And I felt so good at the time because I mean, like I was even (laughs) totally drenched in ballet culture at this point because I was, you know, just watching you all the time. Yeah. And then I feel like you were like, oh, what the heck? (laughs) Why didn't she say that about me? Yeah. Definitely. Every day I saw Erica striving for some image of perfection. I remember when she got obsessed with the idea that her ponytails should be smooth with no bumps. She'd spend what felt like forever stuck in a loop, slicking her hair back, then checking it for bumps, taking it out, and starting all over again. I'd watch her perform these rituals in the mirror. The mirrors at home and in the ballet studio became a decider of Erica's self-worth. There are a lot of like body markers, body checking, like just things that I think are probably potentially super triggering for people. But um. yeah, I remember like we shared a bathroom Mm -hmm. and you just had certain rituals of checking yourself in the mirror in certain ways that you would do almost like repetitively mm-hmm. padding certain parts of your body. I would like turn and profile to the mirror. I'd like go one way and then the other. And I would like look at my profile, see how thin I was. I'd put one hand in front of my stomach and one hand on my back and go tap, tap. Other side, tap, tap. Like, how thin are we today? Yeah. And then you would, you know, do that regularly throughout the week. Mm-hmm throughout the day. I have a memory or two of you actually like teaching me the body checking. Not Oh god. Not no that sounds bad. Not in like a judgmental oh, way god. or No, I I was more like curious like I would ask you explicitly like what are you doing or like what is that supposed to do, what you're doing right there, that specific thing? And then you'd be like, oh, well, I just go like this and like that to check this. And I think it helps with this. And like being a younger sister, you know, I kind of looked up to you and would almost like, you know, be like, oh, wow. And then you had lots of rules about when you could eat. Mm-hmm. And again, these were like also explicit things that we talked about and that you'd be like, I've heard that if you don't eat after X time, it like really helps for this or that reason, which I mean, didn't even really make sense. But my point is ballet had permeated our family culture or our family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so talking about that stuff, even explicitly was just like, oh, interesting. Got to try that. Like accepted. Yeah. Yeah. I also think there was a lot less awareness of 
eating disorders and what that meant at the time. Yeah. I mean, we had heard of eating disorders before, but we thought like the more extreme versions when someone's being hospitalized for an eating disorder. Yeah. At the time, we thought it was anorexia or bulimia. And um, because, Aylan, you like you were home from summer break or something in college. You were researching eating disorders. And you were like, oh, yeah, Erica, you had an eating disorder or you had a disordered eating of some kind. I was like, what? (laughs) And you listed a bunch of things. And I remember you explaining what body checking was. And um, I actively did not want an eating disorder. And I knew how dangerous they could be. And I was very aware of the dangers of it. But I definitely didn't restrict food as much as I wanted to be able to restrict food. And then I remember with bulimia, like also I did not want bulimia, but I did try to throw up on multiple occasions and I just like literally couldn't do it physically. And that was probably a really good thing because I could see myself getting into that back then. But one year I ended up homeschooling because my dance schedule at that particular ballet school was so intense that like I was missing a lot of school. During that time, I got really into like trying certain foods. So for a while, I was really into grapefruit and grape nuts, which I also thought was funny because it was like the word grape in both of these foods. And like I would eat like a late breakfast because I was homeschooled so I could do this. I would eat a late breakfast of like half a grapefruit and some grape nuts and then some other snack or food and then, you know, not eat after my allotted hour and be done eating for the day. Wow. And that year, I don't think I really noticed it, but I guess I must have lost a lot of weight. I remember at the end of the year, I was like at the bar next to the mirror. It wasn't during class. It was like maybe people were putting their point shoes on or something. My teacher said, Erica, like I've noticed your leotards, look, your leotards loose. Your leotards loose on you. You're looking good or something like that. Jeez. Basically complimenting me that my leotard, which I had worn, you know, regularly throughout the year, was now loose on me. And I felt so good when she said that. Oh, my God. Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy. Around this time, I remember how ballet started monopolizing our family life, either because Erica wasn't around as much or just because we were spending so much time doing things for ballet. We'd spend time in the point shoe store while Erica tried on shoes, and our mom and I would help sew on ribbons. We'd burn the edges with a lit match so they wouldn't fray. We'd go to the mall and purchase expensive hair pieces or stage makeup that the school requested. Then there were the countless car rides and waiting for class to be over. I'd write in my childhood diary how I missed her. And I just remember Erica around then. She seemed down. She didn't have time for hangouts or sleepovers. And no matter how she seemed to perform in class or on stage, she was always stuck in this same loop. Just how much I hated my body and all of the um, emotional consternation around that and like constant obsession with that, it was very tiring. So I I was just really knotted up inside that year because I just wanted my bones to jut out. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be bony. 
But I remember like I'd be like crying at home late at night. I'd be home from ballet and crying. And I remember one night I was crying and like mom and dad were on the couch and I was on the floor and I was telling them that I needed to be thinner. And they were, I think they were just like, what? Like, we don't know what to do. And I think around that time, they actually went to the head of the school and said, like, you know, they have parent-teacher conferences. And they said, you know, one of Erica's concerns is that she's worried about being thin enough. And, you know, really to the head teacher's credit, she said, no, no, she's fine. She doesn't need to worry about that. All of the reassurances I needed. And mom and dad passed that on to me, which did mean a lot because... She had been a principal with ABT. She, you know, she knew what she was talking about. But I think it caused so much emotional weight that increased just the general turmoil around this decision of, should I keep dancing or should I allow myself to do some of the other things I love as well? Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. One year, Erica got into a prestigious pre-professional summer intensive for ballet. With this type of program, she'd spend the summer away from home, living in a dorm, training in hopes of eventually joining a company. It should have been cause for celebration, but for some reason, Erica just felt dread. 
I had been questioning whether this was the right path for me already. And there was a period where I was crying, like, almost nightly about it. I just felt so torn in different directions. I just wasn't ready to give up my whole self to it. I've always had a lot of interests, too many interests. And ballet had become my whole life, but it sort of had become my whole life out of default because it required that. I was considering quitting high school and um, just focusing on dance. And I loved school. Aylan, you know, I was like a total nerd. (laughs) And, you know, I was in a lot of pain a lot of the time with my multiple injuries. Meanwhile, Erica spent a lot of time in physical therapy. One day, she went in for a routine visit to deal with one of her many chronic injuries. And so... I remember that day in the physical therapist's office, we were in like a separate room. So usually doing exercises, we'd be in this sort of main room where a lot of people, there were machines, but for some reason we went into this other smaller office room off of the main room. And that's when she said, you know, honestly, I'm not seeing the improvement that we want and you're not seeing the improvement that we want. And really to get over this, I think you're going to need to take three months off, take the summer off. I felt like I couldn't miss two days. And then she says, take three months off. But as soon as she said that, I felt relief. I didn't feel sad. I was, I was like, yay. (laughs) I was happy because I instantly knew I was never going back and I never did. Whoa. Did you... Never even go back to class? Like, what happened there? I think I went back I went back to one class. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> I think it just meant a lot to me at the time. And it was, like, one of the hardest decisions I ever made. I can't believe I'm crying about this. Um, but I just, like really loved it so much yeah you did and it is hard to know that um it feels like you're giving it up permanently because um you can't like go back to that level um but I remember I I went back to one last class I think It was a weird class because it was post the school term and before the summer intensive starts. And so it was like a weird in-between limbo class is how it felt. It felt less serious or just slightly less formal. And it was a modern class. And um, I just danced my heart out. And I had so much fun and I felt so free. And the movement, I think maybe also because it was modern and we had these combinations across the floor that were just, you're jumping in like all directions and turning in the air. And um, I was, I just felt so free. It felt so exhilarating. And I remember after the class, one of my ballet teachers had been watching it for some reason, which never happens. And it was one of the teachers who's really, she's extremely straightforward, doesn't compliment you often, can be very harsh, would make people cry in class. 
And what did she say? I used to remember the words so well, but essentially she said, I've never seen you dance like that. And she gave me this look. Basically what she was communicating to me was you have something, like you have it. Like that was amazing. Wow. And it's like I really was able to put myself in it in a way I never had. And I thanked her and I felt totally, I felt so free as I walked out that door. I knew I was never going back. I wasn't planning to take classes of any kind because it was an all or nothing. It was all or nothing. I wasn't going to watch my body slowly degrade in the mirror. I wasn't going to do that. So I was not going back. I felt good about it, but it is hard to hear as you're leaving, you know, someone communicating like what you're capable of if you decide to stay. She didn't know I was leaving either. I hadn't told anyone. I hadn't told my teachers. I didn't tell my classmates. I basically left and never went back and I didn't say goodbye. I didn't say goodbye to anyone. Why? I don't know. I'm just curious because I guess I don't even know. And maybe you don't know exactly why, but like when you just started crying, like what were you thinking? Why? What brought that out? I think I just really loved to dance. I did. I did love it more than anything. Um, I do think it was a natural part of me. And I and the reality is I was like I it really did come from me. Like, I do think that, you know, practically before I could walk, I wanted to dance. It made me feel connected with music. And I always used to say, I dance because when I dance, I am the music. And there's just nothing that feels as amazing as that. And so, at the time, it it felt like the biggest, most important decision of my life. And it was. It was the most central decision at that time for me. This all sounds so overdramatic for like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old or whatever I was. But why was I crying just now? Um, I think I just miss it. I wish I hadn't said all or nothing. Like I wish I had just kept taking a few classes not in the pre-professional program and the open division. I think it would have been too hard at the time, but I wish I had done that. I wonder, though, if you could have. You know? Yeah. I feel like in your particular situation, like, it was too hard. Like, sometimes when you have, like, a breakup or something, you need to have time where you're not communicating. Otherwise, it's just way too complicated. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That's totally what it was. It was like a breakup. It was really like a divorce, though, from Mm -hmm. like a really potentially even toxic relationship just because it was all encompassing for you. Yeah. And I, I do think like I even get emotional seeing you get emotional because I know you so well and 
maybe this is horrible to say, but I feel like in some ways that was your great love. And I don't know if you've ever found that in anything else. And I think that's why you're crying. Yeah. But the problem is that like, even though maybe that was your great love, the cost was too high. Yeah. When I look at my sister now, I see a confident woman. She's full of life and not afraid to say what she thinks. But that took time. For months, maybe even years after Erica left ballet, she often had a more quiet demeanor. She kept the slicked back hair. She seemed to trust others more than herself. The other thing I wanted to say is like, I I said that thing about it was your one love, but I think that's the way you perceive it. Yeah, you're right. Ultimately, ballet wasn't enough for me. And that doesn't mean ballet isn't enough for other people, but it just wasn't enough for me to give up everything else. Sometimes I'm not sure what came first because I started dancing when I was three years old. So what is me because I'm me and what is me because of ballet? I do think ballet does instill this like rigorous, constant self-criticism where that is your job and maybe trusting how others see you as well more than how you even see yourself at times. Actually, now that I'm saying this, it kind of reminds me of what Wilhelmina Frankfurt told us Balanchine used to say, you can't see you, only I can see you. If that's the messaging you're getting in your training, you do learn to trust someone else's perception of you more than your perception of yourself. It's funny to think how the culture of ballet that's been passed down for generations affects not only the professional dancers, but the thousands and thousands of little children who learn this art form. How many people do you know who, like, danced as a kid? And how many of them may have been deeply affected by this culture? It's like all these years you're learning to reflect back what other people want. And you're learning to look at your reflection and see what's wrong with it. All those hours you spend in the studio, all those hours you spend in that room of mirrors, it's like that room of mirrors is still in your brain. It sticks with you. Next time on The Turning. Who decided this? Who decided that you have to have twig-like arms or legs? Did the skies open up and the ballet god said, this is how it has to be? No, it's just how we've all been programmed. The Turning is a production of Rococo Punch and iHeart Podcasts. It's written and produced by Erica Lance and me. Our story editor is Emily Foreman. Mixing and sound design by James Trout. Jessica Carissa is our assistant producer. 
Andrea Aswahe is our digital producer. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez-Crusado. Our executive producers are John Parati and Jessica Alpert at Rococo Punch and Katrina Norvell and Nikki Etor at iHeart Podcasts. For photos and more details on the series, follow us on Instagram at Rococo Punch. And you can reach out via email, theturning at rococopunch.com. I'm Aylan Lance Lesser. Thanks for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.